Okay. I'll do it. Let me do it. I'll do it. Well, we're on now. It. It's already too go. late. I already did it. So <laughs> here we all are. Uh, gosh. You know, the last show I, I did, it was like the Three Musketeers. I don't know what this show qualifies for. That would be the, the Four, four Musketeers. Okay. Yeah, the, oh, I like the Four Amigos uh, better. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The Four right. Amigos. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. I'll let you set everything up, Justice. All right. So welcome, everybody here. Um, thank you, Farzad and Brandon from Car Questions Answered here. Uh, we're going to be talking EVs, the most misconstrued things, the most common questions, and maybe even uh, why Tesla is dominating the market uh, because of the answers to those things. Um, lots of news going on right now. Um, Farzad, I, I think you read a rumor just right before we came on. What was that about? Yeah, it was a, it was a, it doesn't seem like it's confirmed. I was just stumbled upon it right before I came on the, on the podcast here, by the way, thank you all gentlemen very much, uh, for hosting this and being together. I think this is super cool. What I love about this concept is we're getting, uh, you know, we all come from different parts of the auto market and it's like, we're all getting together and discussing it to, uh, together. And I feel like People from different uh, backgrounds getting together and talking is what we need more of in this day and age. So it's just yep. it's just one of those cool things that I think you know. Hopefully, we're starting a movement or being part of that. So uh, the one um, the one thing that I read this morning is that it looks like there's a rumor that Tesla is, is in the process of buying a wireless charging company, but it is just a rumor. I don't know if it's if it's true or not. I, I haven't had the chance to dig in a little bit more, so take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but it's uh, it's funny because I, I've listened to Ray talk about that on Car Edge uh, many times before. How it's a it's a uh, important part of the full transition to electric vehicles, if if it were to take hold, is to make the charging as uh, convenient and as easy as you can possibly make it. And so that's potentially Tesla getting into that game. But I think if they do get into that, there's other implications from a wireless charging perspective, and you know we can save that for later. But yeah, that's that's what I that's what I read and we'll see we'll see if it's true or not Be interesting. And, and as i said before we went on the air that would be the last step in tesla's goal of world domination when it comes to <laughs> evs um because if they can figure out how to really utilize wireless charging especially in inner cities and things like that Who's going to compete with them? I, I mean, what other manufacturer would stand a shot? I mean, they're all trying to sign up for their their uh, charging network. Yep. If 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 this is true, and they they own a company or are buying a company that would specialize in wireless charging, all bets are off. Tesla Tesla will, in my opinion, dominate the world more so than they do today, and. Every car that you buy comes with a free Twitter account. It'll just, it'll be that simple. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to all those paid Twitter accounts out there. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm one of those. But also, I, you know, while we're talking about charging, before we get into the questions, I don't know if you guys saw the news story that uh, Governor Abbott down in Texas said, if you're using public money to install chargers, like, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act is dictating, then you must include the North American charging standard plug on your chargers if you're using public money. 
So that's what Governor Abbott said? Yeah. So in Texas, if you're going to build it with public money, if you're going to accept public money to build your charger, then you got to have the Tesla charger as part of it. He gets to dictate that? Well, he's the governor and it's state money. So it's state money. Yeah. Yeah. He, he gets to, yeah. he gets to so have he a word would, about that. Yeah. Yeah. He would have a say on that. Yeah. Wow. I, I think what's interesting about that is the, it seems like there's a movement towards this NACS standard now on the EV world. You know, one of the biggest, uh, the toughest uh, thing, I think a lot of EV owners that were not on the, say, Tesla supercharger network, one of the things they were experiencing was that the reliability of charging and where they were located and the speeds and that they were up and running, uh, that was a big um, hurdle for a lot of people to get through. And uh, now that, you know, you have Ford, GM, Rivian now, Rivian came out yesterday and announced they're going to go on the NACS standard. My guess is Hyundai Kia is probably next. Yeah. If I'm a betting man, I think they're probably going to make an announcement here soon. Uh, so what's interesting now is you have uh, a clear movement towards one standard, at least in North America, which is NACS. But you also have a lot of, uh, uh, call it legacy legacy EVs, you know, that have the CCS port, which is the, uh, it was the initial standard. It was a sort of, you know, a bunch of automakers said, we're going to use this one, but now they're ditching it in favor of NACS. So I think that the thought process in Texas is since you have both types of cars on the road, uh, instead of forcing people to buy an adapter, we're going to force the, the charge the I guess the, the charge makers, if they want to take advantage of the, of the incentives, they have to offer both types. You yeah. know, whereas before they only had to offer CCS. So to me, I think it's just a, I think NACS is obviously the winner here. And I'm, I'm curious to see if this will propagate to the rest of the world and not just the North America. I think, I think the transition is going to be relatively quick because you think about total percentage of cars on the road here, are EVs in North America that are NACS standard, it's like 80% plus. So yeah. it's the transition super, should be relatively quick. Yeah, and Farzad, like we just talked about this, what, a week and a half ago when I was on your channel where, I mean, they got Ford, and then right after I think we dis uh, discussed that uh, they're probably going to go after every OEM that wants to be on the on, on the network. That I mean, this is, this is Tesla's play, right? I mean, they're going to have the operating system. They're going to have the way to charge the vehicles. I mean, this is, this is the way that they're going forward with their company. They're going to have their hands on every piece of the EV market one way or another. And that yeah, does lead that does lead to world domination. And you know, I mean, I'm uh, I'm hyperbolic like my son at times, but I mean, really, that's what it's going to boil down to, is that when it's almost like it's almost like uh, tissues. You know, when when you say tissues, people usually say Kleenex. Well, that was the brand. OK, that's not what it was. It was the brand. And so what's going to happen is Tesla is going to become the generic term for anything electric uh, because they will own, as Brandon says, every piece of that pie that that gets us there. Yeah, I'm curious. Can I pose a question to the panel? And I, I love to hear everyone's reaction, because, you know, I from my standpoint, I'm a you know, I, I've been very embedded in like the Tesla world and I'm trying to reach out to the rest of the auto market. So this is my education process. And I, of course, I'm super thankful for you guys to to be around so I can ask these questions. But I'm curious, has the recent developments uh, in your minds, have they changed your mind about 
uh, Tesla and EVs, uh, their adoption rate and how they're building momentum? Do you think that has changed at all, given the recent developments around Tesla 4 GM partnering, the soup, you know, the charging standard moving a certain way? Has that changed anything of, of how you think about EVs or Tesla? I'm just curious. I don't know who wants to take that first. I, I can go first. I can say just, I mean, talking to you guys in the last couple of weeks has completely changed my thoughts about EVs. Like, I mean, a month ago, I th- I, th- I still thought EVs took like 45 minutes to charge. Um, and I mean, the newer Teslas are, are not the case. I actually interviewed a dealer yesterday um, that has a Plaid and um, he does a seven hour road trip to go to three different uh, auctions on every Tuesday. And what he'll do is he'll, uh, cut up half the trip and when he goes and stops to eat lunch he'll charge his tesla um at the one of the charging stations and go eat lunch and it's fully charged by the time he's done with lunch so just uh by the having that information i think this it's just a big fail on tesla's part to maybe they don't need to advertise but maybe change the word to educate and uh and, and that way that uh people who are are not just really i mean for lack of a better word plugged into the to the ecosystem know what kind of objections that they can get over uh, that they might be worried about going into an EV. And that's even something with me and I follow the car market and I didn't, I didn't know a lot of this stuff about the Teslas. I, I, I personally, I just think as, as every, every manufacturer starts to align with Tesla, it just seems to make the future for EVs that much more mainstream um, because you know, there will be the one standard, uh, you know, and, and I always relate it back to uh, to between VHS and Betamax, um, you know, and, and for consumers, VHS became the standard for the entertainment industry. It's still Betamax. Um, but I, I, I think it just it, it, it makes it easier for it to become more mainstream when everything is at some point in time connected with Tesla. Um, they, they already established a brand and a presence and everybody else is trying to catch up to it. Well, the best way to catch up to it is to become part of it. So, yeah, I, I, I think it, I, I think it, it, in the future, it makes it easier for people who are considering EV adoption to just go ahead and do it. Yeah. And, and for me, you know, I'm kind of, you know, in the same camp as you, Farzad, um, been, uh, been a Tesla guy for a long time, though. I, I really like to promote a lot of other, you know, EVs as well. You know, Hyundai and Kia make amazing EVs, uh, with great charging and stuff. So I, I am excited for that future, but, you know, as far as this charging goes, um, it is becoming sort of synonymous because nobody's saying, Ford and GM are adopting the NACS. They're all, you know, the media is like, oh, they're all using the Tesla cable. They're all using the Tesla charger. So it is starting to become the generic. Okay, mm-hmm. so and EVgo and and all these other charging networks themselves using the plug. They're all saying all the they're switching to the Tesla plug to the Tesla plug. So it is becoming more generic and and sort of this thing out there. So you are going to get as Brandon said, the, the Kleenex effect of of all that stuff, where it's it just sort of becomes generic. But as as 
Brandon and Ray said, what need, what's needed here isn't Tesla advertising, it's education. And I do put a lot of onus, and I've said this for a long time, put a lot of onus on Tesla for that. As, as you said, they're what, 80% of the market in the, in the U.S. and the EVs. But so many people are uneducated on the questions or have all these misconceptions. And, you know, and that's on Tesla, that they're not out there educating people. People still have all these old things. You know, the, the battery replacement is probably the number one I get all the time. It says, oh, and you're in 5,000 miles. You're going to have to replace that battery. It's going to cost $20,000. Like, no, what, what you know, like, that's just not the case. And it's on Tesla to come out and, and make this education happen. Can can I add one thing real quickly? I I think it will become important for who for whoever is running the char a charging network um, that they'll advertise that it accepts the Tesla plug, not the NACS. Okay, it, it it's so much easier to understand. Oh well, does this does this use the Tesla plug? That's what people want to know. They, they don't want to know, is it NACS? They just, they're going to want to know, is it the Tesla plug? You know, because if it's the Tesla plug, I already have that. Um, yeah. And that's why I think it becomes the generic term for all of this. It, it, they become the Kleenex of, of uh, tissues. It, it's, it, it is what it is. I mean, they have... They, they might not have spent any real money on advertising and they might not have spent any real money on education or educating the public out there, but they have over the course of time developed a name and a standard that has, that is now synonymous with everything that has to do with electric vehicles. So I have a question going back to the advertising thing. This is probably one for Farzad, but if they did ramp up their advertising and get a get a massive bump of of orders in, can they actually service their their orders? Are they intentionally not advertising because they can't keep up with the potential demand that it might cause? That's a great question. So that that's um the, the advertising question and, and trying to create more awareness will bring a variable that is there's already so much demand for Teslas without advertising. So their right. their total capacity right now is about 440 to 450,000 EVs per quarter. So they're almost at 2 million yearly uh, with, with barely any advertising globally. They do they do advertising in China. I think they do a little bit in Europe, but they don't do any in, the, in North America. So uh, if you start creating awareness that says, hey, so, you know, the charging thing, yeah, it's not as bad as you think. It's actually very convenient. The battery thing, you know, you don't have to replace it. Eight, eight year unlimited mile warranty. I was in the service supply chain. The big crates that had the high voltage batteries, they barely if ever moved. So I have data that says these things ain't really getting repaired barely if ever uh that's just the data set that i have from working there uh, and then you just go down the list of of dispelling those myths and, oh, and by the way the cost you know you can buy a tesla for uh a model three after incentives in the u.s i think is somewhere around thirty-three thousand dollars now uh and then you don't pay for gas you pay for electricity which is about a half to a fourth of the cost so you start going down the list and then people are like holy crap okay so i can i can actually afford a tesla and i've been thinking about doing one so it will create a an issue for Tesla for sure. So I think I think their 
their strategy will probably be get the facilities ramped up a little bit more, try to bring uh, bring in more capacity ahead of time. Because they ha- they did say that they are going to start advertising. Elon Musk at the shareholder meeting said, uh, after me, Kevin asked him that question, right. who's, a, who's a finance YouTuber, he's like, yeah, we will advertise. So they will have to put in capacity. Otherwise, they're going to run into the issue they had during COVID, which is they, they had six month plus waits and they had to make the prices ridiculously high so people would stop ordering them because they had a six to nine month backlog. So, and I think the company, you know, every EV maker should be trying to move away from having the customer wait to get their EVs because this is the perfect time to have them available as momentum grows. Like you don't want people to wait to get their EVs. You want people to just be able to go to a dealer or go to the Tesla store, place their order, and then maximum one to two weeks later, you can go pick it up, right? So it's a phenomenal question and um, it will be a problem for them to execute properly. Otherwise people will have to wait to get their cars. And I think the Cybertruck especially is gonna be a perfect case uh, for that dynamic once it launches next quarter because that thing has got 1.5 million reservations and they even haven't they haven't even started the damn thing so it's going to be fascinating to watch yes but so many of our members farzad think the cybertruck is never going to come out that it's just all <laughs> hoax i'm one <laughs> okay in, yeah what would you like to know <laughs> I'd like to know why there's a million and a half uh, orders and they really haven't started building the damn thing. I mean, how many, how much of a backlog do you really need to say, okay, it's time to start building this stuff? Well, Ray, yeah. I, I think you know the answer to that. You're just not thinking all the way through on that. Um, I believe the word you're trying to think of is gigapress. Um, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That has yeah. to sort of be delivered and installed before they can start making it. So there there was some wait time on getting the gigapress, right? And when did they first uh, when did they first show the Cybertruck? 2019 well, November. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so almost 4 years ago. What was yeah, I don't I don't know if you heard about this thing called a pandemic. Um, wait, 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 but we had this little blip in time there where like everything was shut down and no one was doing anything, including the people who make the gigapress. My, you 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 are a Tesla fanboy. I my, you will come up with any excuse necessary yeah, for, for why Sorry, I, why we are so far behind the eight ball when it comes to the production of the Cybertruck, and why people like me think it's never going to happen. Now, granted, I understand it's going to happen, but it's never going to happen in the numbers that they need it to happen to to satisfy the the one and a half million people that have had. A, a, an order for it you know it, it, it's reminiscent of a i hate to say this of a ford maverick you know hybrid where i get emails from from people who literally ordered two of them a gentleman who ordered two of them last september and he keeps getting emails from ford saying hey you know we really appreciate your patience and and the guy's thinking it's not my i want the damn truck okay um and and they still don't have a build date for them, and they still they don't have anything for them, and we're we're like ten months in. That that erodes customer confidence in a manufacturer when they're willing to open up an order bank and unwilling to actually produce the damn vehicles. So I I understand there was a pandemic. Okay, I I get it. 
but at some point you had to say, we're never going to be able to build all these. Let's stop taking orders, you know, once you reach a half they a million. Didn't. Let us get yeah. caught up on the first half million before we really start pissing off the other million. You know, that buys you bad press, not good press. I, actually, I, go ahead. I, I was just going to push back a little bit and say, hey, Ray, how long does it take to get a, a Rev4 uh, Prime? It takes you. It's the same thing applies it to takes, that. Which yeah, is but, why Toyota but we're not saying market share. But we're not saying Toyota is not legitimate. They're not building this vehicle. It takes eighteen months to get one. But we're not like, hey, they should have just stopped orders. The difference is it's been around, and they don't accept orders because it's a Toyota, and you can't order one. Okay, well, you know I, better than I think Farzad's going to answer store. the ordering part of this. Okay. So I'll let him go on that one. <laughs> All right. I'll try I'll try my best. Here we go. All right. So so it's it's multifaceted. I think th th there is if I view it from a manufacturing perspective, I think I think Tesla has a reputation for being late with everything. So that's number 1, which which is something that they I I would 100% agree they they need to work towards and Elon Musk himself has come out, you know, when the person when the leader of the company is an eternal optimist and he's always missing deadlines, you know the culture of the company is going to be built that way. But I, you know, the the flip side of that is that it enables these insane things that end up happening after a while, right? So it's kind of a double-edged sword. From the Cybertruck's perspective, so the pandemic definitely had a had a big impact in the supply chain. These are brand new technologies, uh, brand new supply chains that have to be spooled up. No, no, no one has made a car like this before, you know, with an exoskeleton and and single piece castings with that size of a car. So it requires a lot of new technology. And so when you have the pandemic kick in, you it's kind of very unlucky. You know, it's like all these people that were supposed to be using the the resources to build that they had to shift it to make sure the economy doesn't collapse right so that so they had to move resources around then you have the battery uh the battery shortage component in that same exact time period so they don't have enough um, battery materials available for them to get the Cybertruck ramped up and then the other piece of it was that the demand for existing cars so the model y the model three especially the model y the demand was so high that it made no sense for them to ramp up any new products at the time. They're like, well, people just want the freaking cars we have now and barely have enough to make a million of them per year. We have to figure out how to make 1.7, 2 million of them per year. So all these things combined to basically, I mean, for lack of a better word, put Cybertruck on the back burner for a while because they had to get the rest of the supply chain and manufacturing ramped up to be able to do the Cybertruck. Um, and uh, I agree with you that the the wait time for those 1.5 million will be long, for sure. And you know the, their plan is to get to half a million. I think rumor again, he said somewhere between 250 to half a million units per year uh, once it's fully ramped, which will take a few years to get there. So it's it's potentially unless people start canceling their orders, you could be still waiting for a few years to get your Cybertruck. But I think that the bigger question becomes. Uh, are, what is the total capacity of electric pickup trucks today in America? And it's very small. It's F-150 Lightning, the Rivian R1S, um, and that's about it. And that's those two units combined yearly is like, what, 50,000 a year, maybe 100,000 a year. So um, it, that, that's, that's the equation that I think through. So yeah, you'll have to wait, but literally there's nothing else for you to buy unless you can get a Rivian or an F-150, which bodes well for any competitors, right? So that's like, that's, a little bit of the picture there. 
So, so my question is, have all these people that are waiting for these cyber trucks, have they seen it? Have they seen how ugly it is? They don't, <laughs> they don't care. I, you keep mispronouncing the word beautiful, Brandon. I'm not oh, okay. sure what my that fault, is. Fault, like, yeah, it's, it must be, it must be a Southern that thing that you're that. just... It's funny Brandon says that because I literally went on a, on a, my, uh, my really good friend down here. His name's Travis. I did a video with him on Sunday. So he's born and bred Texan. He's, uh, he worked at the oil field for like over a decade. He has an F-250 diesel and he loves the hell out of his truck. He's just like the most stereotypical Texan you could ever think of, right? And I love that guy to death. And we were uh, driving around in, in, my, in my Tesla driving itself and whatever. And he says the same exact thing. And he's like, that is the ugliest freaking thing I've ever seen. It's only, it has looks only a mother could, could love, right? <laughs> and, and I keep telling people, wait until you see it in person. I've seen this thing in person multiple times. I just saw it uh at the shareholder meet in uh in may or april whenever the hell that was it feels i don't even know what the dates are anymore but in person it's a completely different story i i'm very curious to what i'm really looking forward you you two especially ray and brandon i want to see y'all's reaction to the cyber truck once it's out on the street i think yeah. getting your reaction is not only going to be amazing content but i'm really curious to get your take because i i think that's the kind of you know, if Tesla really wants to get really mainstream and become a dominant player, that's the kind of market they have to dig into. They have to dig into the traditional pickup truck buyer and all that good stuff. To, to, yeah. to piggyback on what Brandon said, <laughs> okay, the, 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 the cyber truck is the pickup trucks with troll dolls were the dolls, okay? It's so friggin' ugly that, that it's cute, okay? So I agree with Brandon 100%. Have people actually looked at it and 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 it, it's almost like going to like the world's most expensive restaurant and finding out the food sucks, but you're not going to tell anybody because you just overpaid so much for it. So so there's a million and a half people out there waiting on this cyber truck telling themselves, oh, it's really beautiful, when in reality it's really not. It looks it looks just like a DeLorean to me. Just a big DeLorean. Um, I mean, they're the same color, but other than that, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not sure about they're both triangular, triangular shaped and they're both ugly. So, <laughs> well, I, I I've seen you. it in person, not the one that Farzad did. I saw one of the originals down at in, in LA at the museum. At, yeah. At the museum. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it's beautiful. It's, it's massive, but it's beautiful. I think the proportions of it, you know, because proportions are a big deal on a car and, and it's hard to it's hard to get the proportions on a picture, especially when when the car itself is already a 2D. It's a triangle. It's literally a triangle on wheels, right? It yeah. literally is a triangle on wheels. But once you see it in person, the proportions kick in and you start seeing some of the curvatures and the lines, which it has surprisingly. And then the, the finish is super uh, reflective. So in the sun, you can literally see the entire world around it. It's, and it looks, I don't know. I'm just going to shut up and I'm going to let you guys see it in person and i bet you i bet you you're gonna think differently that's that's my bet we'll see i i have absolutely uh no faith in that i will convince ray that it is a beautiful truck or that he would ever want one and probably brandon either i just uh i don't I'm, think I'm it, coming, but i I'm will coming. tell you i love it yeah so i'm coming cool. along on, on the teslas i i saw <laughs> i saw the plaid yesterday a buddy of mine came by the shop and uh and showed me his, and I mean, it's it's awesome on the inside. The the outside still, uh, eh, eh, eh. But um, 
but but I mean the inside the inside of them are really, really cool, and I, I like the I like the no maintenance. So I'm coming, I'm getting there. Just keep keep working on me. We'll do we'll do an interview with Farzad every every month or so, and I'll get just five percent farther every every month. But we'll work on it. I, I think that's what we did with Ray. We just slowly moved him toward. But that's I think Farzad, you mentioned this at the outset. Um, that's sort of what we try to do. I I don't try to convince anyone that they need to go out and buy a Tesla. That's not my thing at all. Matter of fact, my sister's looking for an EV after driving my Tesla. And I said, before you just jump into Tesla, let's look at what else is out there and you can see and try. But uh, mine is just to educate people, since Tesla is not doing it, uh, on the misconceptions about EVs. Because I think the more the Rays and the Brandons of the world find out the realities of numbers and and things that, you know, a lot of the hesitation drops off to where you're like, okay, well, it is a viable vehicle and it's not a, uh, you know, 13 Nissan Leaf. And I think this is where it's important for other automakers, not just Tesla, mm -hmm. right? It's important for the Fords, the GMs, the Hyundais, the VWs. They all, it's, you know, if it really is going to be the future and it's going to be the, you know, a world of no maintenance, very low running costs, great performance, even at the at the cheap end, because you have an electric motor that has instant torque and all that stuff, right? It, it, it lends itself to a really good driving experience. It's going to require a, an industry-wide effort to actually prove that. It can't just be one player, right? It yeah. has to be everybody. Because I think over time, people will want variety. They'll want choice, you know, and we're not even going to talk about the self-driving portion of it. Let's just talk about people actually wanting to drive their cars. People will want some sort of uh, some level of variety. And so you need compelling vehicles mm -hmm. from everybody. And I think one player, I think, is proving that, which should lay a has a blueprint for everyone else to at least, you know, pick and choose the things they want to do as well and potentially even tap into the same supply chain Tesla has built to maybe take batteries or whatever else they need. But then they need to prove out the, the technology and that form of transportation as well so that people can actually adopt it. It's so that it's not just like, hey, let's move for the sake of moving. It's it has to be because it's cheaper and it's better. And if those two things get proved out, then it should take off. But if it, neither of those two things are true from a whole industry perspective, it doesn't deserve to be taken on because it's not actually better for the consumer. That's how I think about it. Can can I ask Brandon a question? Um, no. Okay. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> I know it. Based on, on the type of vehicles that you sell at your dealership, it'll be years before you, you will find yourself in a position to be able to sell um, pre-owned. Oh, we'll, we'll be out of business by that time. <laughs> oh, come yeah. on, man. Amazon will already take over the used car market or whoever's going to redefine how used car sales look like. No, but seriously. Do, do, no, no, yeah, you're right. You're right. At some point, it might be 10 years from now, I don't know, uh, there will be EVs that that will be inexpensive enough as used cars that you'll be able to sell in the, in the well, maybe by that point in time, you know, cheap vehicles will be considered $10,000 as opposed to the $3,500 to $5,000 type of vehicles that you specialize in today. Um how do you how do you see that impacting um, how you're you're going to have to try and do business in the future? 
I mean, honestly, the future of the used car market, I, I, I jest a little bit about what I just said, but I kind of think that's what's going to happen. Um, so let's say that that kind of thing doesn't happen. We don't change the whole way that the used car market looks um, a, as we're seeing it today. Um, but I mean, all, all these, the, there's so many small used car dealerships that once you, once you bring on um, the need to actually charge these vehicles, it, I mean, almost, almost every day, I mean, it, you're not, you're not going to, I don't actually, I don't know the answer to this. Uh, do, do the, the vehicles, the battery, does the battery range, go down as these cars just sit i know it has to use some kind of power just sitting there uh but how often would you have to charge an ev if it just sat without being driven that that's a good question so it depends on the on the manufacturer uh if i use my tesla as an example so you can have multiple settings that say if you want it to be connected to your phone at all times and you want to have you know cabin overheat protection which keeps you know doesn't let the cabin go over a certain temperature and it'll kick in you know the ac to keep it uh, say under 105 or whatever the temperature you want it to be so those things will naturally uh use a lot more energy but if you're like just i'm gonna i want you let's just sit here and don't connect to the phone just literally hibernate i can probably let us sit on a lot um it'll probably lose about one percent per day and okay, so if it's so charged at 100 percent, yeah, that's like you could keep it for, you know, potentially a quarter. But it 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 depends. It depends on the car, depends on the size of the battery. Uh, but but if you're just letting it hibernate, you can keep it on the lot for a while for sure. OK, so to back to race question. then, so what has to happen for for infrastructure for for the used car market to be able to be equipped with the necessary things that that you need to have used cars? All these auctions would have to have. Think about think about the amount of charging stations an auction would have to have. I go to auctions that run anywhere between 2,000 and 4,000 cars a week. So how many charging stations is an auction like that going to have to have? Because, I mean, these these cars that come in an auction, they're already getting there without any gas. It's going to be the same thing, probably even worse as far as charge goes. And then just go to the next step, all these uh, small mom-and-pop used car dealers, there are more used cars being sold by us than there are these big franchise dealers, right? So you're going to have to have each one of these locations suited out with these charging stations or these char chargers, whatever. Um, but the problem is most used car dealers don't own their lots. So they go around between these different locations that aren't necessarily decked out to be used car dealerships there. Some of, some of them are in little strip malls. I mean, some of them are in places that were like little retail uh, stores. So anytime a used car dealer goes into one of these new locations, if there's not some kind of portable option made by Tesla 10 years down the road, which I'm sure there's going to be something where they just outfit the, where they can just plug it straight into the, to the wall. But if, if a dealer goes into one of these locations and wants to keep 50 to hundred cars like us, I mean, we're going to need multiple ways to be able to charge these vehicles every day. Um, unless we're just driving them to like a charging station, kind of like a gas station, like what we're doing now. But I would assume that that's not going to be the way, um, 10 years from now, people are going to charge these things, um, in, in mass at their own location. That that's, uh, I, I think that's probably is the play, um, and something that, that Tesla is probably going to, to come out with. So it just depends on the technology at the time. But as far as uh, pricing goes, we have to see, we still don't have a sample size of these cars being around for 15, 20 years. Um, sure. And we need to see how they hold up. Yeah. I think the, 
that's a fascinating question and kind of like highlights the complexity of the transition, right? All these logistics have to be figured out for even a, a used car dealer or an auction to actually be able to sell these things reliably and not have a brick <laughs> on their lot. Yeah. I think one of the one of the benefits of an EV is that you could just use a, a 110. You know, a 110 is a trickle charge, but the one thing it will do is it will make sure you don't run out of battery. It will charge it very slowly. So I think it all depends on how much they're planning on letting the car sit on a lot. If they're going to be stationary, say 99% of the time, a 110 should, you know, a 110 line should work. And so uh, I'm, I'm guessing that's going to be, uh, like, like if every parking spot had a 110 or they had some sort of wireless charging solution, or let me get even a little bit crazier here in the case of a Tesla, they could just, you know, with the, if the self-driving comes to fruition, which I think it will, they'll just freaking rotate. They'll just, they'll just, you know, they'll park, they'll wait for the car to charge. They'll set up a, uh, you know, a wireless charging station or something, or a, a wired uh, station that moves itself, or I don't know, they'll use the freaking Tesla robot to unplug and plug it back in, right? There's all these crazy things that start com coming to fruition, where you could have a, a basically a 1000 used Teslas that drive themselves, and they just know when to go to the charger and they rotate through and then on a, you know, in a couple nights, all cars are super, ch you know, charged to full, and you don't even have to worry about it. So it, it all, you know, like you said, it all depends on the technology that you have. But I I think the, the the key thing is that the the EV can use existing infrastructure. You don't need anything special. You can just use a 110 theoretically to at least keep charge. It all depends on uh, how many cars you have and how much room you have on the lot. And then that's a, you know, if, if there's enough demand for it, my thought is that the, you know, the supply and demand will kick in and somebody will figure out how to do it. Another problem that that comes into question with with uh, moving to the EV stuff is Ray knows this. the The auto market we're I mean we're stuck decades behind um, <laughs> technologically and actually moving forward to change how we do. I mean, if you go to an auction right now, it looks like you're walking into like the 1980s. That's what it looks like. I mean, there's other than allowing online bidders at this point, and really there were tons of auctions that before the pandemic. Online wasn't even an option. They had to adapt to do this. And maybe that's the argument for saying when these EVs come online and they're they're more mass that that these auctions will adapt to that. But it's just it's hard to teach old dogs new tricks. And the car market is a very, very, very old dog. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I agree with that. It is car dealers do what they do because the way they do it because they've always done it that way. And, yeah. and most car dealerships are resistant to change. So they, they, they will always say, Hey, this is all, this has always worked for us. Why do we need to find a different way to do it? So, yeah, I think it's going to be hard as an industry for it to change, for the sales model to change, for the way we do things in the industry to change. It is the most change-resistant industry out there. Uh, you know, the word tracks that salespeople are taught today are realistically, in many cases, the same word tracks that they were taught in the 1960s. So a lot of this stuff has never changed, and it is going to be difficult. Uh, unless we get a whole new breed of owners 
much younger, much more technologically savvy than what we've seen in the past. Um, I, I, I agree with Brian. It's going to it's going to take forever for that aspect of it to change. Yeah, I agree. And uh, you know, to your point, Ray, I think some of the most EV resistant people are the actual uh, car dealers, the people who are out there buying them at the auctions and everything out there. They're they tend to be the ones who already don't like EVs, mm-hmm. even though, you know, they may not have all the answers. It, it's, it's it's your thing. They're stuck in the way and that is what it is. And and they, you know, these tend to be the ones who feel like EVs are being forced on them. So they're sort of pushing back on that. And, you know, so you're right. I think there's going to be a problem at the auctions for quite a while and trying yeah, to keep yeah. up with that mentality. Car, car dealers as a group. 10 and and i don't know if you'll agree with me on this brandon but they tend to be more reactive than they ever are proactive okay (laughs) they they don't want to look so far ahead that they they could proactively plan for what that future may look like they will react to what is going on and usually the reaction is late but that's just my experience well for most part the car dealers have to be reactive because they're broke. I mean, most, most car dealers don't have any money. I mean, that's why we have this, this floor plan problem that we have right now. And that's why you see so many spikes and, and, uh, and uh, just the peaks and the, and the, the valleys in the wholesale data is because car dealers are so reactionary, but they have to be because they don't have any money. So they can buy up when sales are good and they can't when sales are bad. They're they're not preparing because they're just not able to because they don't have any money. So let me let me ask you this question: If wouldn't so so given these data points that uh, car dealers are way more reactive than proactive, and they and there's they're not fi- they're not financially well run is what it sounds like. They're very dependent on whatever the hell is going on at that time to make something happen, right? Right. Wouldn't it? Isn't a car dealer? That is proactive. Aren't don't they? Aren't they going to have outsized success in this kind of market, especially as the shift to EV continues? Like, is there a world where, and if a dealership does embrace the EVs, that they're just going to absolutely kill it? Is that a good way of thinking about it? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I mean, it doesn't matter what the market's doing. A, a well prepared dealer. I mean, it, the market could do anything, and because we're not. Um, tied to any kind of floor plan. We're not tied to any kind of debt. We're going to kill it in any situation just because we have cash to prepare for whatever's coming there. And and it, it, it's not really going to be um, a factor of the market and the market moving or whatever. We can even be behind the market. And just because we're financially placed the way we are, we're going to be fine. And other dealers that are in a similar, similar situation that we are and not leveraged up to their eyeballs and have to just live and die off each day. It's, it's easy. It's so easy to make money in times are hard right now. It's hard to sell a car, but we can still make money because, because we're not, we're, we're just not in debt and having to pay and peel off money that we're, we're making off of each one of these, um, each one of these sales because of debt. The, the car market's easy. It's, it's very easy. You just have to be smart about how you spend your money and uh, and what kind of leverage you want to take. If you do want to take some, um, we don't take any. So we're uh, we're positioned to just, just move ourselves however we need to at any given time. And I would say probably 80%, that might even be a low number, but at least 80% of dealers are not positioned in that way. They have to live and die by the sales that they're making that month. 
and 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 to shed a little more light on that, I, I think your your large publicly traded dealer groups have um, the the financial wherewithal to be proactive and could, as Farzad suggested, uh, really kill it because they were proactive. So, you know, I think when you look at, at like Lithia or AutoNation or Penske Automotive, um, large dealer groups that are that have always been uh, willing to invest large dollars in technology and trying to position themselves slightly differently, I think, yes, they, they could be proactive enough to really kill it as, as the EV market takes off because they, they, they have the financial wherewithal to do it, where smaller mom-and-pop stores, if, if, you're a, if you're a small mom-and-pop Ford dealership and you want to be in their electric vehicle sales, you're talking you have to invest somewhere between a half a million and a million dollars just to be able to say, yeah, I want to do it. And a lot of those dealers, those mom and pop dealerships don't have that extra money to do that. So I, I think the large, large publicly traded groups will see that they're in a, in the financial situation to be able to. So it's going to depend on the customers too. So a customer that is, is a Tesla customer, even if they're buying one, that's a little bit used or whatever, they're, I mean, like we can keep a hundred cars at a time, but they're still not, I'm still a small dealer. They're not coming to me for a Tesla. They're not coming to me for even some of these newer electric, electric vehicles. They're not, even if I had a bunch of newer uh, version cars, just because of the way our dealership looks, because of the way that we're advertised, we don't have some massive franchise sign out front or anything. A consumer like that is not going to come to me for their product right now. That's going to look completely different in 10 years, and I don't know how it's going to look, but um, the the kind of consumer that, that's going to buy a product like that, they're not going to a mom and pop shop. They're going to a, to a big dealership. That's helpful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing some light there. Who's next? Who's <laughs> uh, well, we actually have a couple good questions here uh, from somebody that uh, we might know. Uh, Mrs. Car Questions asks, uh, how long do you or how low do you see EV prices going? Uh, Farzad, I think this plays into Tesla's plan on, on the on the whatever Model 2, whatever we're calling it. Yeah. I, I, so I, I would love to run through a scenario and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I this is a this could be a potentially um, wild way of thinking about this, but I, I really want to get your thoughts. So definitely as Tesla and others, but it seems like Tesla is the best position right now as they go down market and they go to cheaper and cheaper vehicles. So with this Model 2 or compact car, whatever you want to call it, that's going to start at 25 grand. This is going to obviously um, impact used EV prices on top of the supply chain ramping up and making the costs cheaper. And if the if the uh, if Tesla is going to continue on the path of let's make them as affordable as possible, then the entire market's going to go down. But the one variable that is really interesting to think about is if if we live in a world where the consumer decides that they no longer want gas cars and they want EVs, uh, this is a scenario that could play out. And I don't know when, 
the demand for the EV is going to be much higher than the supply because it's going to take uh, potentially decades to get to the existing level of uh, capacity in the U.S., which is like 14 to 15 million cars per year is, is the total car capacity that uh, is, is available for manufacturing. And we're currently at, I don't know, 2.5 million, maybe 3 million with all automakers. And if it's growing at, say, 50% per year, that's, yeah, you could get there in like five, six years or something like that. But depending on when that transition happens, you could have more demand for EVs than supply. And then you could have like a COVID situation again, where the EVs could actually go up. Even, even used car, e used EVs, they could go up because people are like, we don't want gas cars anymore. We want EVs. Uh, now that creates a crazy situation on the gas car side that could make those car prices so low that people are like, but I can get a gas car for like way cheaper than I could an EV. And that could balance the market out again. So I think net net, the the EV prices will come down over time for sure. But I do think that their uh, long term, the residual value and how low they go will be, uh, let's say, better for the owner than than if you were the buyer, because there will be, I, I, I believe, more demand for EVs long term, especially if there are incentives from the government, and especially if people decide that this is the technology they want over the gas car. So that's how I think about it. So I don't. you're saying that there has to be some kind of crazy situation for, for that to, to like, um, justify, I mean, to, to play itself out. I don't think so. All the others want to take is like one one war in the right place or something like that. And gas prices can go to twenty dollars a gallon. Gas prices go to twenty dollars a gallon. Now everyone wants an EV. Doesn't matter if you're pro EV, pro whatever. You're you're not paying twenty dollars for gas if EVs are just readily available and we're paying similar prices for for electricity. So there there's not a crazy scenario out there. I mean, it's, it could be a horrible scenario, but there's not there's not some kind of crazy catastrophic disaster that has to happen to make EVs something that just everyone wants just because of the cost effective effectiveness of gas prices just, just spiking. And I, I can see a scenario where, where that absolutely happens sooner rather than later. Uh, I, I have a, a question, if I may. Um, how, how long do we suspect that there will actually have to be governmental incentives to get people to buy EVs. Uh, at what point, what is the percentage of EV adoption that we, that governments have to see where they finally say, well, it doesn't, it's not going to require incentives to get people to buy them anymore. Uh, I can take it. Uh, the way I think about it is that there doesn't need to be any today. So if, if you, I think, I think the incentives, in my opinion, I think the incentives are in place for everyone else to catch up to where Tesla has been this whole time. Because if you think about where uh, Tesla ran out of their incentives in 2019, early, something like that, and they were still by far the best-selling EV in the US easily through 2019, 20, 2019 and 2020 with a price penalty of $7,500 and people still bought them. So I, I, my would say that the that the incentives from the government are absolutely not needed for the EV adoption to continue, but because they are, <laughs> just by happenstance, Tesla and other EV makers will win big 
Uh, but I think, it, it, this is my opinion, I think it's more of a bailout for other automakers to survive the decade into the transition so that people will actually buy their cars. Because from a cost perspective, they're not competitive. Uh, you know, Ford, you know, we all know Ford, how much they lose on their cars. We know GM loses money on their cars. We know VW loses money on their cars. Tesla's the only profitable one. And without some sort of break to the consumer, these guys can't make money. I think it's just going to depend on the administration, too. And uh, real quick, Farzad, how much does Lucid lose on every car? Um, <laughs> half a million yeah, yeah and that's not even a joke yeah five hundred no, yeah, no, yeah. thousand yeah. per vehicle yeah yes per vehicle um, it's wild. but i also wanted to say you know responding to what brandon said uh the highest state with ev adoption is california where i live of course and uh i was out this last weekend with uh with a family member driving around and uh, gas is five dollars and 49 cents a gallon for the regular Oh. Uh, just regular old gas. So to his point, uh, yeah, I think where you see the state with the highest gas prices also has the highest EV adoption rate. Uh, there is a correlation there. People sort of get kind of tired of that. But I also want to say that California is also one of, not the, but one of the highest uh, household income states. So as car prices are the same across the nation, uh, a EV in, say, Alabama costs the same as it does in California, yet my household income in California is a lot higher. Thus, it makes it a lot more of an affordable vehicle. And I think until EVs get down to that point, till we see the Model 2s, whatever we're calling them, the $25,000, $20,000 EVs, that it'll continue to be a slower adoption. I think once we get down to that 20000 price point especially, I think that's when we'll see a spike because a lot more people can afford those vehicles. And then that will in turn uh, drop the price in the used market. I think the, the, the counter, like the oxymoronic thing, I guess is the word I'll use. The, the thing that seems weird, but is true is that for every dollar you spend, regardless of whatever EV you buy, if you buy a like for like vehicle, like say a, uh, Model 3 versus a 3 Series, which are kind of in the same class, right? Over the life of the vehicle, the EV will be significantly cheaper to run per mile than the gas car. And this is across every single vehicle maker, across every, because there's way less moving parts, so there's much less maintenance. And the fuel, uh, you know, gas versus electric, electric is way cheaper. But it's the upfront cost that right now is the limiting factor. It's the thing that's like not allowing everyone to jump in. But once uh, financing options and the cost, uh, the initial cost of the car comes down, and we talked about this on Car Edge, Ray, with, with Zach as well, I think, is that if you're able to, or you, when you guys came on my channel, there there is a world very, very soon where an automaker could come out with their options that gives you, that says, hey, loan, electricity, insurance, all these things all in, 500 bucks a month, and you drive a brand new EV off the lot. And that is the dynamic that the EV offers that the gas car doesn't today. And that, in my opinion, will be the thing that really kicks this into just into a, into a different stratosphere. And it goes back to Brandon's point of cost. I think uh, this this is the EV advantage long term is cost. It's not performance. It's not how it looks or how it perform or performs or the technology. It's cost. The cost per mile of the vehicle is much cheaper you just have to get it so that the person can afford it up front do do we think that as 
EVs end up taking more market share away from gas vehicles moving forward, that once that happens, <clears throat> the cost of electricity will skyrocket in this country? That's an interesting question. That's a yeah. very interesting question. Yeah. So it, it all depends on on useful capacity. Justice, did you have any any thoughts, sir? I have a few, but I don't want to monopolize the conversation. Sorry. No, no. Yeah, I'll just keep mine short because I do want to hear your answer to that. But this is something that I have said. You know, a lot of a lot of the comments I'm reading from non EV people are are sort of misinformation. But this one is a real one that I I do think is something to watch out for is once you're in a captive market, uh, those who supply energy captively are always going to act the same. In this case, uh, I said this before, a lot of these electric companies are municipal. So, and that's what I'm under. So they're government run and government owned. And I have never known the government to go, nah, nah, nah. Well, we're going to go ahead and lower the rates and you can keep more of your money. Uh, this I've just never heard that from the government. So I do see them going, oh, yeah, well, we're, we're going to have to raise rates because everybody's on the grid now. So this is a, a serious issue I, I do think uh, needs to be addressed. I, obviously, solar panels and battery backups help solve some of this. I don't even think you need that. So, so when I, so one of my good friends, Matt Smith, who comes on my channel often, he, he used to work for utility for like 10, 15 years. So this dude is like super into the world of utility and electricity. So where, where electricity, the reason why it costs spike is because there's more, way more demand than supply. And these plants are designed to sort of, you know, ramp up in the day, ramp down during the night, ramp up during the day, ramp up during the night. But this ramp up, ramp down is the most expensive part of running a utility. What an EV allows you to do is it allows you to keep the the levels a lot more even through, through the day and night. And so what I suspect will happen is as EV adoption grows, utilities will incentivize you to chargers at night so that they don't have to shut down the plants because shutting down the plants and putting them back up is what really costs the money. Uh, the, the reality is that the grid in the United States, the, the reason why it sucks, is not because there's not enough capacity, it's because it's stupidly inefficient. We have all these plants that are maximally, like we, we bought, we have say, um, the ability to service a trillion people in the United States, but because everybody is running their ACs at summer at 7 p.m. all at once, that's what really brings the load on the system. But if you are able to charge your EV at night, you literally don't need any additional capacity that will allow the utility to keep the rates even overnight. So unless everyone decides to charge their cars during the day, then prices will spike. But what will happen, this is sort of supply and demand economics, the utilities will say, we will give you a break if you charge yours at night. And that's going to allow people to just say, well, I know my car is going to get me to where I need to be all day because it has you know 300 miles of range in, mo in like 99% of use cases. And so it's actually going to help the utility run more efficiently. So actually make them uh, more profitable and save people money on fuel. It has like this dual effect. It's it's wild. And this is one of those like uh, little known facts because there's not enough EVs on the road to experience this, but I predict this to happen over time for sure. Well, I well, mean that, yeah, so that might be a thing, but like, I mean, the government already taxes the crap out of gas. Everybody needs it, right? So I would imagine they're going to tax the crap. So it might be efficient and it might not cost the actual companies that are, that are producing this electricity. The government's going to get its piece. 
That's that's fair. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a fair point. But uh, you know, to your point, Farzad, and I, I think uh, Ray and I have may, have talked about this on our show before. Was, uh energy storage, I think, helps on a lot of this. You know, the as as we're storing energy as it's produced. Uh, California here, we have a lot of green energy. Um, so we're storing a lot of it. So you don't need the peaker plants, which is what you're talking about, of that demand and all that cost is you have to build another power plant just for these couple hours a day that spike up. So when you don't need the peaker plants because you've stored the energy and you can disperse it evenly or when the spikes come up, you already have the energy stored. You don't need to produce more of it. I think that helps. But uh, in the end, I'm, I'm agreeing with Brandon on this is the government's a government and, and energy suppliers are energy suppliers. And we are already seen in every sector what both of those entities do. And, you know, I, I think there is some some validity to uh, they'll raise prices, not because they need to, uh, but because they want to. Right. I would say that would happen under any circumstance. So it's not really yeah. an EV thing. I mean, the EV thing no, might be no, the yeah. catalyst, but I th what, what that opens the door for is distributed utilities or new utilities that come on board that actually disrupt the old utilities through, say, solar and batteries. And, you know, those guys are, you know, I think it opens up an opportunity for a better way of doing it. And that's, you know, we might have a spike in the short term, but I think long term, it's just... It just from a technology perspective, it's obvious. It's so much cheaper. It's yeah, just a matter of is. who's going to come in and disrupt, and is it going to be captive? It will be captive for a while, and you know people will kind of hold on to their pearls for as long as they can. But I think, like anything else in history, at some point, uh, somebody will come in and break it. And I just yeah. saw a comment. A sweaty hiker actually makes a good uh, point. So the the taxes that we pay on gas um, help to maintain our roads, right? So if if that money goes away, they got to get it somewhere. And well, it's, it's got to be. so I, I live in California. I can answer that one. Um, I already pay a lot on my extra registration. Uh, it's $200 a year uh, for that. And then now they're also talking a per mile tax to help replace that. So there's a, there are already plans in the works to help replace that gas tax. Uh, but I already pay extra on my registration to account for that. Yeah, well, they'll, they'll double dip. No, they will. They, well, the per mile guarantee you they come out with a per mile tax, Brandon, they're not going to get rid of the gas tax. So, yeah, yeah, they'll just they'll just get double money. Can I can I say something? No, I'm no. getting hungry, damn it. OK. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, geez, you know, it's 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 almost two o'clock here. I need it to is. eat. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, so I just wanted to bring up one more comment from uh, Roger here. Um, says this may uh, depend on whether Elon supplies energy. That might be the next disruption. Let me tell you, um, he already does. Tesla already does supply energy in Texas. You can uh, sign up for, I don't, Farzad, do you know what it's called? Is it just Tesla energy? Yeah, Tesla it's, it's a, just a Tesla charging program, 30 bucks a month. And then uh, you just unlimited charging overnight basically with your Tesla. Yeah. So, uh, so they're already involved in it. They're already getting there, but um, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and do final rounds, uh, final thoughts for the day. So Ray can go eat. Yeah. Okay. You want my final thought first? Sure. Yeah. Uh, 
should I do should I do turkey and Swiss or roast beef and American on rye toast? That's that's my oh, final roast beef. Thought. Yeah, roast, yeah. Okay. I'm gonna go with the roast yeah. beef too. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I'll third that. Okay, yeah. with, and maybe with a little horseradish sauce on there. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, a lot okay. of a lot of horseradish sauce. Okay. Bye, everybody. I'm gonna go make myself a Reuben now. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that was my final thought thank you for your input everybody yeah brandon any final thoughts from you all right the cyber truck's ugly um they're going <laughs> we already to had that thought tax the crap out of electricity gas is going to 20 dollars a gallon what else did we get here yeah um used car prices are going to crash i'm going to lose my business uh, my wife's going to leave me, um, and we're all going to die. There we go. Okay. Uh, I mean, that last one, yes, Brandon. There's a 100% <laughs> chance we're all going to die. Uh, I'm going to try to do the, the opposite. I'm going to do the optimistic look this look here, okay? Gas is going to $1 a gallon. We're all going to live for I'm just kidding. Uh yeah, I no. Just thank you guys. I think I think this conversation's uh, super needed. I, I love how we can all sit down and just talk about what's going on. And uh, yeah, I, I look forward to chatting with you all in the future. Um, it, it's super fun for me. I think you know we're all sort of like super nerdy about these topics, and it's uh, we really enjoy talking about it. So I just want to thank you, gentlemen, very much for uh, for getting together. And I, I love being part of this conversation. Thank you for inviting me. It's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Farzad. Thank you, Brandon, for being here. Love the conversations. We like to get out there and talk. And for for all those from uh, Farzad's channel who are, who are watching today and said, be nice. Um, just so you know, Ray and I do a debate show where we, we, we just argue. That's what we do. So In a uh, nice way. Yeah, yeah in a polite. Yeah. We try to be polite, yeah. but but it's okay to have differencing, difference of opinions. And, Absolutely. Uh, perfectly okay with that so please if you if you thought we were mad at each other we weren't at no point uh, does no. that ever happen uh so thank you everyone for being here thank you guys for being on the stream i'm going to go sign up for Neuralink so i can live forever another <laughs> elon yeah. musk company um so have a great day everyone just make sure you have twitter yeah. installed <laughs> yes. Yeah. Of course. I, I think it just comes across your eyes automatically once. Yeah. You yeah. Yeah. Just 